0: Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigman. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. And today we find ourselves in Torah study number 16, double eight. So we're ready for a double blessing. A double new beginning, and uh, we're going to continue to follow Israel's amazing journey uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and really get into the spiritual warfare that they faced on their way to the Promised Land. Uh, Up until uh, this teaching today, we've all been eyewitnesses to God's amazing grace. Amen. You don't get set free from the bondage of the devil, the bondage of Pharaoh, the bondage of sin without God's amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And God has the power to pull it off. Let's just all uh, uh, have this understanding. God's power and the devil's power aren't neck and neck. All right, And so the devil would like to deceive people into thinking that he has more power uh, than what he has. But God is the Almighty One. And he's the one that delivered Israel. He delivered you and I. Uh, and uh, just as Moses said, let my people go. And it came to pass, uh, it probably... Uh, was somebody in your upline, somebody uh, in your family ancestry that prayed you to the point where you got let go, and you let go and let God move. And so whoever that is, we'll see him on streets of gold, and uh, it'll be a happy day to get acquainted on how that all went down. We've also witnessed the ten plagues, the ten acts of God. Uh, and including the tenth and final plague, uh, which was the death of the firstborn. But if you applied the Passover offering, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, what did that angel of death have to do? Passover. And that is so symbolic of the work of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that the power of the blood, still when you enforce it, causes the enemies to pass over and even if we do get attacked we don't lose we win and even if a loved one didn't make it they still won because they made it to heaven (laughs) so even in that they still won and so uh, by the mercies of God That's a a fail-safe spiritual vaccine for you and I today. There's pandemics and perilous things happening around the world. What's a man to do? What's a woman to do? Apply the power of the blood. And then lather, rinse, and repeat. We also, and uh, it starts today's study, we see Israel at the Red Sea. And uh, it proverbially is the final nail in Pharaoh's coffin. It's really the 11th plague for Pharaoh. But it leads to Israel's deliverance. Because Pharaoh and his army were totally and completely annihilated. And this is what you and I need to build in our consciousness, in our mentality, this spirit of faith, that the power of Jesus Christ totally and completely annihilated the power of the devil. He is a toothless lion that goes about trying to deceive people in order to devour them. And your antidote, as we'll see as we get into this, is the Word. But the reason the Red Sea happened is it's one of the most powerful depictions that we have to point to the work of salvation in our lives. There's a redeeming and saving quality to baptism. The Red Sea is a symbol of baptism. And it's part of the hidden revelation out of Mark 16, 16 that says... Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, And so the hidden revelation there uh, comes up because people, what does baptism have to do with salvation? Well, this is why we all need a rabbi. This is why we study the Jewish roots that anchors us to biblical truth. The immersion into the baptismal tank or in Hebrew, what's called the mikvah is one of God's remedies for cleansing our inner man from uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the fallout of, sin, of a sinful life. This is how curses are broken... And this is how we overcome sin and the sin consciousness that tries to block us from the blessing and blind our minds from believing the full gospel. Well, how can I say this? What proof do I have? Well, we consider the Bible proof. God's Word is truth. That's our evidence. That's what our faith is built on. And in Romans 6... Paul teaches us about this view of baptism as a way to identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it confirms, Paul confirms, the ancient understanding of baptism that it was there to break the power of a sin-conscious mind. Amen? When we've been living in sin, Israel was living in sin. Uh, and slavery, they were slaves to the for 200 years. Egypt was uh, morally de- depraved. And I was reading about all of this. We won't get into all the sexual depravity that was uh, uh, running rampant in Egypt. The rabbis teach that Israel had descended into 49 levels of unrighteousness, immorality, and unholiness. They were in this world viewing all the insanity and it affected them. This is why the 50 day journey, the 7 weeks of 7 Sabbaths, the 49 days between Egypt and Mount Sinai, between Passover and Pentecost is so powerful. Because it was reversing the curse. And it was developing, not a slave, it was eradicating the slave and sin mentality and replacing it with a God and Bible mentality. And so uh, at the Red Sea, this is a symbol of baptism. And uh, it teaches us that what we were as a slave is no longer to continue. But what God wants to uh, replace it with is the power of his word, the revelation of his word. And so this is all part of that revelation. And then uh, in today's uh, study, I encourage you to read Exodus 15, an amazing song, Miriam's song. Uh, How many of you uh, grew up in uh, the church in the 80s and remember the song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. That's Exodus 15. That's the song they sang on the opposite side of the Red Sea, and that whole chapter's worth a good read. We won't take time to do that today, but God is good. And you need to develop your own prophetic songs. There needs to be a Christian soundtrack to your life. A spiritual soundtrack that you are constantly rejoicing and singing and praising the Lord to keep that salvation and deliverance experience alive. Amen? And if you want to turn to Sirius 60s on 6, once in a while you can do that too. (laughs) My preset dial. I go right back to the 60s. I love the 60s and all that music. But not more than I love singing for the Lord. And so here the bitter waters at Mara are turned sweet. There's a whole teaching there, the manna from heaven comes, a teaching on Shabbat. We could spend a whole uh, morning on teaching on these things. But all of this was building momentum for Israel so that as they were heading to the promised land by way of Mount Sinai, they were renewing, God was renewing the spirit of their minds. Amen? Amen. And so, everything's going their way. Or we could say, just as everything was going their way, perilous times came. There was an attack of the enemy. Uh, And it happens in Exodus chapter 17, part of the Torah study. Israel's confronted. Israel gets tested. And Israel ends up having to go to war with their eternal enemy, Amalek. And it's this battle that I want to dig into a little bit today because there's some valuable spiritual lessons on spiritual warfare that still apply to you and I today. And that's why I entitled this lesson, Spiritual Warfare Training for Perilous Times. So uh, if you do have your Bible, you can mark it or uh, follow along uh, out of Exodus 17 verse 1. And we're going to read the Bible just a bit. Is that okay? No one will be offended. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses And said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cries out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel... And also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And so this leads us into the first lesson I want you to see Uh, And that is that the attack of Amalek came immediately on the heels of complaining to the Lord, Is the Lord with us? Is Hashem with us or not? And as soon as Israel put that out there, Amalek attacked them. See, their negative attitude, which is a form of negative faith, And the reason it's a form of negative faith is that you're believing for something bad instead of for something good. And that negative attitude is directly connected to the fight that followed. Amen? And so, as I'm studying this and I'm connecting this to spiritual warfare it helps to explain to you and I why some people struggle to receive a breakthrough. Negative faith cannot produce positive results. Amen? Negative faith releases negative results. And so a negative spirit that is one that complains, the one that murmurs, the one that's always questioning the Lord, is what opens the door to the devil to come in and attack. It happened to Israel, it's still happening today. See, here's here's the fact, Satan isn't always our problem. Moral of story. See, we can be our own worst enemy. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. You never want to be the last to know. <laughs> Make that a part of your prayer. Lord, don't let me be the last to know the mistakes I'm making. A lot of times we can just ask our wife. <laughs> Lydia's not here to say amen, so you can say amen for. Her. How many of you remember the famous quote, We have found the enemy and he is us. But see, there's a spiritual principle here. And uh, even though there's a lot of back and forth amongst Christian denominations. Is there really power in our words? Can our words really enact things? Over time, they create a mindset. Over time, they create the wrong momentum if they're negative words. On the flip side, if they're positive words, if we're always speaking the word of God, we're, uh, and not just the part where Judas hung himself or the thief on the other side died and (laughs) didn't make it into parents. Those aren't the scriptures you want to remind yourself of. But listen to what James says. James is one of the best books in the whole Bible if you want to learn how and what renewing the mind is all about. And in James 3, uh, it says... And among, this is verse 6, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It, the tongue, can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Breaking news. What you say... Is what you get. (laughs) So let's be on the right side of that divine principle. Because the takeaway here is that people uh, so often set their own world on fire because of the power in negative words. Life and death is in the power of our words, Proverbs says. And notice here in Exodus 17, uh, what Israel began to speak. Is God really with us? Does God really care? And you would think, after all the miracles that they had just witnessed, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen for Israel to be walking free on the opposite side of the Red Sea. It seems unfathomable that Israel at this point could question God's faithfulness. Uh, But what happened is that out of that, Amalek attacked, and that's the point. That our negative words, if we're involved in the wrong spirit, can lead to attacks that really have nothing to do with the devil launching them, and everything to do with us ourselves. So we need to take that responsibility, and once we understand that, now we know how to fight the good fight of faith, right? Amen. Amen. So... There's a couple of scriptures that you can... Because some people don't necessarily get trained in Christianity about fighting the good fight of faith or spiritual warfare types of things. But I shared this in um, uh, early morning prayer last week out of Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. What does exactly that mean? Anybody, you can't see this if you're listening on CD, but if you fold your hands as in the manner of prayer, that's training your hands for war. Prayer is warfare. Right, he trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I can't do the Spock thing, but that's originally the high priest thing. And when he splits his fingers like Andy's doing so well, who else can do that? Well, you're probably in the high priest line. So good for you. You've got a great destiny. I'm—I have to fake it. You know, anybody got some uh, gorilla tape? But what this is telling us is part of our Christian journey to our own promised land includes fighting some battles. God never said there'd be no Goliaths. He just said, take five smooth stones that represent the word of the Lord... It wasn't that David was an expert rock thrower, although he probably was. God doesn't want to make you an expert physical rock thrower. You don't have to join Antifa. He wants to make you a spiritual rock thrower where you're throwing the rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock that helps me to cast the, the word of God against every problem and circumstance and come out winning. That's spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says that we are uh, not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And one of these unseen rulers in an unseen world, the spirit realm, is Amalek. Amalek is many things but mostly it's a spirit that's passed along from generation to generation. And it's a spirit of intense hatred for the Jewish people. It's a hatred for what the Jewish people stand for and who they represent, which just happens to be the Lord God Almighty and His Word. Amen? Amalek's grandfather just so happens to be Esau. And you know the story of Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers. Both are born from Rebekah and Isaac and both have Jewish DNA. But Esau, as he grew up, instead of embracing his spiritual heritage, came to despise it and reject it. He denounced his Jewish roots with a shocking level of contempt. And what happened is he passed that curse down to his grandson. It multiplied in Amalek. Amalek has a need to attack Jews. Because the Jewish existence proves the existence of God. It proves to the world that God exists. And just an FYI, Haman in the story of Purim is also a descendant of Amalek and Esau, who sought to destroy and annihilate the Jews. And instead of believing in God, Amalek, Haman, and everyone in every generation infected by this evil spirit works to reject God and works to force everyone to openly reject their belief in God. And in America today, we're seeing that happen quicker and quicker. It used to be behind closed doors. But now as the birth pangs intensify, birth pangs don't detensify from what I'm told. (laughs) The closer you get to the birth, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more intense things are going to get. The perilous times. And part of that is the church is non-essential. That's one of the birth pangs. Your faith cannot be spoken about on Twitter and Facebook the way it used to be. In fact, if you don't toe the secular state government line on what religion is, then we will censor you, demarginalize you, disenfranchise you, and silence you, and one day we'll call Bible speech hate speech. That's the spirit of Amalek at work. All right? And so there's that, but also in ancient Jewish wisdom, there's another amazing fact about Amalek. Amalek shares the same numeric value. You know, in Hebrew, every letter has a value. And when you spell out in Hebrew, Amalek, and add up all the numbers, it comes up to 240. And 240, that numerical number, that numerical value, is identical to the words that describe doubt. Amalek equals doubt. Amalek doubts there's an existence of God. That's why Haman rolled the dice. Your your life is fate. Your life is coincidence. Your life is random. There is no God. There is no pathway to heaven. All of that is fantasy and everything is just uh, uh, random. Amalek. Well, see, coming out of Israel... The Jew of Jewish triumph over Egypt proved just the opposite of what Amalek believed. Because there's no way on God's green earth that Israel's coming out of bondage of Pharaoh and Egypt on their own. Right? They needed God. They needed a higher power. We all need a higher power. America needs a higher power. America's battle right now is against a spirit of Amalek that wants to remove one nation under God. And so there's this spiritual warfare. Right? And the church right now, I said this to Lydia this morning... The plan is is to create identity politics, uh, place everybody in groups, and then go after each group based on their own uh, individual factors. And the church has different groups, and I just wondered uh, in the different groups in the church, some groups have not spoken out yet. Some groups in the church have not yet gone on Twitter, gone on television, gone out in public and said, we believe in God and we're against any secular humanistic attack against the church as non-essential. And so as we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the people that are remaining silent, they think they're going to escape. But the birth pangs are to bring the whole world and each individual group to the revelation where they have to go public who they're going to stand for. All of you that are on Moses' side over here, and all of you that are on Korak's side over there. And so, if you think you're going to get away with it, And you think you're going to skate, nope, your day is coming. And don't think they won't turn on you just because you're not saying something right now. And that doesn't mean we have to go out and be obnoxious. We're not calling for armed rebellion and storm the capital, And we're not talking about that. What We're talking about being a voice, having convictions, being willing to state your case for the Lord, and doing it in a way, hopefully, that will convince some of your friends. Amen. 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 So the second spiritual warfare lesson is hidden in the place where the attack occurred. Rephidim. In Hebrew, the rabbinical teaching on this uh, geographical location called Rephidim is that it's also an acronym. And the acronym that they've taught for centuries means, Refidim means, to loosen your grip On the Torah. And so this has become an allusion to the reason for the attack. Because Israel loosened their grip on the Bible, on the Torah. Is Hashem with us or not? There's all of a sudden you went from being a believer, God wanted you to become a disciple, But you went from being a believing believer to an unbelieving believer. If there is such a thing. Can you be an unbelieving believer? We're seeing that in our world today. People that uh, have a form of godliness, but uh, they deny the power of God. No one here would do that. Again, notice the question. Doubt and unbelief. It's immediately followed by an attack. But why all the doubts in the first place? And this is part of this second lesson on spiritual warfare, and it ties into the first, that when anyone becomes lax in the study of the word, they put themselves at risk. And especially as the coming of the Lord approaches and birth pangs increase in perilous times, God doesn't want anyone to be defeated. We are overcomers and we will overcome, but not if we uh, become laxed in our word uh, study of the Word. If we loosen our grip on the Torah, how on earth are we going to stand against the wiles of the enemy? When a person's word level is low, their faith level is low. And this is what opens the door for many attacks. How many of you know you go through that Armor of God series, what is the shield of faith for? The shield of faith is to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Now that's that's either just as true as John 3.16 or none of it's true. That by my faith, I will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Yeah, but you got COVID, so it didn't work. No, it worked. I'm here alive and standing. I didn't loosen my hold. I grew all the stronger in my confession of faith, in what I believe and who I'm looking for, for miracles. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, when Moses is looking back about what happened, he says, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. It's not uncommon for the cares of this world and the issues of life to weigh people down. And the more you focus on all of that in your own personal life, the more chance it is to be exhausted. The more chance there is to loosen your hold on the Torah the more chance there is to shift your focus from living for God and following God's divine principles to just be focused on all the issues of life. And suddenly when it comes to studying the Word and praying and going to church and all of these spiritual things that make you strong, all of a sudden they're the first to go. And this is often when attacks will come. This is when people are caught off guard. I'm a good person. Why did this happen to me? Well, let's go back and rewind the videotape of your life for the last weeks and months. You should be doing that. There should be a self-evaluation process. I don't want to be the last to know. Father God, am I strong or weak in faith? Where do I stand? Help me, Holy Spirit, to understand where I'm at in my spiritual life. I don't want to be self-deceived. Right? Right? Being strong in faith means being strong in the Word. Hallelujah. This is what transforms us from being citizens of the world to being citizens of heaven. Come on, somebody. This is what causes our focus to change from what we were before we were saved. See, if we're still thinking about everything that was going on in our lives before we gave our lives to Jesus, our vision is in the wrong place. God wants to change us into thinking not about what we were before, but what we are now in Christ. Who am I in Christ now? Not what was I before. And that's how you build your life so the gates of hell cannot prevail. And there's so many other things that we could get into. But let me just share this scripture because sometimes people don't like the... We just want every... <clears throat> what was that song by the country and western singer, I Beg Your Pardon? Pardon? I didn't promise you a rose garden. I don't want to bring problems onto myself. But I also don't want to be under the illusion that now that I'm a believer, that nothing bad can happen. The rain will fall, but life is... Uh, uh, 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond. Let's respond in faith. All things work together for good. God has made me an overcomer. Greater is he that's in me. Lather, write that on your spiritual chalkboard 500 times. First Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith in the conflict with evil, the Amplified says. So my fight of faith is directly opposed to the evil coming against me. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of it! Amen? Amen. Take hold of it. And when you take hold of faith, you take hold of the word. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing And hearing the word. All right? The third lesson is that teamwork makes the dream work. In other words, you can't move forward by doing everything yourself. Christianity isn't the Lone Ranger religion, right? We're all part of the body of Christ, and everyone has their role and part to play. And uh, some may be like a Pastor Huck, some may uh, never talk on a microphone, but no one is better than one another. We're all part of the same body, same members, and no one is more important. Amen? Amen. And this is illustrated as uh, Aaron and her, H-U-R, not H-E-R, he didn't know about uh, gender pronouns. Aaron and her supported Moses and contributed to the victory. Now, uh, I won't read it all, but in Exodus 17, Moses went up to the top of the mountain as the battle between Israel and Amalek took place. And when Moses raised his hands, Israel won. When his hands were lowered, Israel fell. And so Mo, uh, Aaron and her figured it out. Let's hold up Moses' arms. Moses needed help. And Aaron and her were there to hold up his arms. That's part of what we do in the body of Christ. We hold each other up. Because we're all part of the same body. Webster's Dictionary defines teamwork as a joint action by a group in which each person subordinates her or his individual interests and opinions to the unity and efficiency of the group. That's the body of Christ. This is what the church is supposed to be accomplishing. The Judeo-Christian life isn't a me thing. It's a we thing. Amen? Amen. And you can study all about that in First Corinthians 12. So, we need to support one another, pray for one another, stay unified with uh, uh, one another, despite the enemies that have you noticed in our atmosphere in America and around the world today, how people are working to get us to hate one another. That's, so true. That's, true. That's Amalek. That's the devil. That's spiritual warfare. Yeah, we hate sin, but we're praying for the sinner to be saved. The sinner isn't uh, someone we hate. The sinner is our goal. But there are powers and principalities that we need to pull down. And so when it comes to uh, school leaders, political leaders... Uh, media people that you see have so much power and they're using that to defame the gospel and stop the spread of the gospel. Father, I I just pray today that every stronghold of the enemy in positions of power, these rulers of wickedness in high places, that their influence be pulled down, that they turn against one another and all of their wicked plans come to naught. That's how you do it. Amen. Amen. Well, we could go on and on just in the last few minutes. One more thing, the fourth and final point to make on spiritual warfare from this lesson is that we always have to trust God and not a man. The scripture says as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But when he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Rabbis through the centuries have raised the question, what was the real cause of victory? Was it because Moses raised his hands? The answer that they've given is interesting, and it's so important that as long as Israel looked heavenward, They looked beyond Moses' hands into the heavens and they subjected their hearts to our Father in heaven. As long as they did that, they prevailed. But when they didn't do that, if they would have stopped short and only looked to Moses, they would fall. And I couldn't help but thinking this is in effect what happened with Peter when the Lord was out on the Sea of Galilee and he bid Peter to come. And he got out of the boat and began to walk on water. And when his eyes were on Jesus, he was walking on water. Pretty pretty awesome. But the Bible also says that he looked to the waves and the wind and the storm. And as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord and put them on circumstances, he began to sink. So looking to God instead of man or instead of circumstances is a vital key to our victory. Amen. And this is what James is talking about in James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen? Amen? Amen. But one of the dangers that happens, and the pastor was talking about this in his sermon uh, last week, Israel wanted a king. And, and what God told Samuel is, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. Right? And so they were looking to a man. And one of the dangers we face is getting so enamored with our leaders, we give them an elevated sense of celebrity. Celebrity. And instead of looking to God, we end up looking at a leader. And we revere the man more than we do God. And look, in no way am I suggesting that we abandon spiritual authority and spiritual chain of command and uh, reject leadership as a bad thing. But what I am saying in the deepest part of our convictions to the Lord, we need to follow Proverbs 3 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not Depend on your own understanding, which can be expanded. Don't, Don't depend on man more than you depend on God. Seek God's will in all you do, and He'll show you what path to take. And yes, I know there's safety in a multitude of counselors. However, the word has to be, uh, we have to measure everything that's being given us by the word. Study the word and see where it all plays out. And the flip side to this is that leaders in that atmosphere become enamored with themselves, right? I have a title, I have position. People do things for me. I can ask people to do things that are just beyond what I could have ever imagined. And it's dangerous for things to become more about building my kingdom than about building God's kingdom. And so, a word uh, to leaders. And this is how a church or a leader can find themselves under great attack. And in a losing battle, because what comes before a fall? Pride Pride always becomes, always comes before a fall. So, uh, Psalm 123 applies. Verse 1, "To, To you, I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in heaven. How many of you lift your eyes to heaven and love the Lord with all your heart? Amen. God gave us these things, and so go out and apply them. It's like Reinhard Bonnke once said, The gospel is like soap. It only works when it's applied. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. Have a great day, and we'll see you at next week's Torah study.